He's hoping that you're all well. I was just running um, a Celtic source lecture. It was the first lecture of the course on the native tales of the Mabinogion. We were just discussing the dream of the Emperor Maxim Ledig. Uh, for those of you who are still interested in joining the course, please feel free to subscribe to the website where you will be able to find all the different information that you need to join the course. I'm losing my voice a bit because I've just been speaking for a whole hour, but hopefully it will last. So this question was sent in by uh, an old friend of mine, Martin, uh, who I've been talking about these things with for years now. But he just recently followed the Taliesin tradition course, and this question came up. And there was a really interesting question that I thought deserved uh, a proper answer. Uh, this is the question here. What is the function of channeling when it comes to poetry? What does it mean that the bard is essentially pretending to talk in another voice? What creative purpose does this serve? It's a very interesting question. Now, for those of you who haven't sat the Taliesin Tradition course, which you can do if you go and subscribe to the Celtic Source website, but on the Taliesin Tradition course, we look at various hints in uh, Welsh poetry about the practices of the medieval bards. And in the book of Taliesin in particular, there are some suggestions that the legendary Taliesin, um, when a, a bard of uh, a later period was performing in the persona, in a theatrical sense now, performing in the persona of the legendary Taliesin, so performing um, his poetry and poetry that the legendary Taliesin supposedly uh, composed, that he would also be performing in his voice. And that there are hints in the Book of Taliesin that when that poetry was performed, the bard was in some way channeling the ancient master Taliesin or was possessed by the ancient spirit of Taliesin. And Martin's question there is just asking, you know, what does it mean? What's the creative purpose here? And it's a really interesting question. Uh, and it's one that I've pondered myself a few times. Um, and I remember back in the day when I was looking at this idea of possession and channeling and looking at the different ritual practices um, from across the world of how different traditions relate to their ancestral spirits and how they bring them forth in, in performance. I remember spending a fair amount of time looking at uh, the use of masks and how um, mask use uh, is very closely associated with the evocation of ancestral spirits. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't think that the Welsh bards were necessarily wearing masks. That's not what I'm ref uh, suggesting here. But thinking about masks and thinking about the ritualised use of masks in other cultures can help us reflect upon the practice of channeling in the Welsh Bardic tradition and what it could have meant, what it, what it signifies in terms of the psychology of the people in, involved in that practice. Fascinating uh, field of study. We have these different ritual practices across the world where you've got different performers who, in the moment of performance, they go into a trance-like state and in that trance-like state, they are channeling or evoking or maybe even becoming 
ancestral spirits or gods, supernatural otherworldly beings. And, you know, it's quite easy for us to dismiss this as just, oh, well, you know, it's just one of those things that people did. But this happened all across the world. Wherever there are humans, you'll find this practice in their history or in their current culture, depending on where they're at. Yeah. So this isn't something that that we can easily dismiss. It uh, appears to be a fundamental practice amongst human beings that perhaps has evolved independently in many different unconnected cultures across the world. For some reason, we as an animal are drawn to these types of performances where we uh, engage with an audience, there's always an audience, and that audience witnesses the performer as being an embodiment or being possessed by an ancestral spirit. And various theorists and anthropologists and ethnographers and you know different scholars have tried to um, describe what this basic universal practice is. What does it mean? Why do we do this? And I found it very useful in, in thinking about why the Welsh Bards did it and what it meant for them. Now, we can say that the connection between inspiration and the channeling of ancestral voices is perhaps a rather obvious one. For those of you who practice a creative skill, for those of you who are poets or writers or even artists uh, or musicians, creative people will often describe the creative process as something which almost happens outside of them or despite of them. It's as if something else comes through. Yeah? There is a spirit that is evoked. There is, uh, um, you know, uh, in different traditions, people will call it uh, divine grace from the Christian God or what have you. The, most different, most religious or spiritual traditions will have a version of this where creative output is described in terms of the supernatural as a supernatural influence. The whole idea of inspiration, yeah, to be breathed into is part of this very ancient human tradition, that an ancient spirit is breathing into your body and that as you perform, as you create, as you produce your creative art, that spirit is passing through you. In terms of the Welsh Bardic tradition, of course, I describe it in terms of the Welsh Bards essentially being the custodians of an oral tradition and therefore they are preserving and keeping alive ancient texts from their ancestors. And those ancient texts, as they're kept alive in memory and performed, there is the sense that when you're performing Taliesin poetry, Taliesin is there. When you're performing Aneirin poetry, Aneirin is there. Yeah? There's a the sense of the presence of the ancient master in the poetic text itself. And that we can see how that easily lends itself to then uh, the, the performing bard literally performing Taliesin or performing Aneirin. And then in extension, becoming them or being possessed by them. We can, I think it's relatively straightforward to see that connection. But when we consider this in terms of mask wearing and how mask wearing is a further extension of that or an adaptation of that initial channeling, if you like, I think it can be really informative. It can really uh, outline 
the, the basic shape of the practice. I'm just going to run through a few uh, quotes and references here. Um, so the first is by uh, Olarotimi, uh, and here she's describing traditional Nigerian drama, uh, which is uh, a mask-wearing tradition. She puts it like this. The mysteries and strange forces long identified with mask in traditional thought become real at the moment of ceremonial performance. So in many of these traditions, the mask itself already has a type of spiritual power. Sometimes they're inherited traditional masks, or at least their, their form is traditional, they're decorated in very traditional ways, their shape is very traditional. They already have a mystique, they already uh, evoke an ancestral power in their very presence. Yeah, And all of that becomes activated in the moment of performance. This is when the power of the god or spirit of the ancestor comes forth and enters into the masked performer with the aid of the masking medium. With the aid of the mask, basically. The feel of the presence of these powers affects the masker's state of mind. So, not only is the performer aware of the ancestral power of the mask, but clearly, when they wear the mask, they are infused with this ancestral power. The ancestral power comes into them. They are identifying with the ancestral power. Their personality is transformed into being a personality which is not only their own, but is also the embodiment or the personality of the ancestral power. Yeah? It covers the face. A uh, very powerful, symbolic um, uh, action, uh, ritualized action, to cover one's own face with another face, which is the personification or the embodiment of the ancestral power. I'm sure you can see how that works, yeah? Very powerful. Um, I've actually done a fair amount of mask work myself uh, in, when I was a, a budding actor back in the day, um, you know, doing different courses on performance. Um, there's a lot of uh, uh, theory and thought about mask wearing in, in modern theatre. And it does change you. I mean, not just literally, it does change how you feel and how you respond and how you behave. Something else happens to you when you wear a mask in performance, especially, especially if it's a heightened uh, performance, if you're in a heightened state of awareness, if you're nervous or you're dancing or you're singing or you're in front of an audience, yeah? The energy of performance heightens your senses and it does change you. So I can uh, testify to that of my own experience. But anyway... Absolute belief in this presence results in self-identification by the masker with the power being pleased becomes total. Yeah. So when the ancestral power is, be, is pleased, is happy, is being celebrated, is being evoked, the possession, if you like, or the, the total identification between the performer and the performed is total. Yeah. You are 
fully immersed in the moment of your performance. And I can quite understand how that could happen. It's very easy for that to, to be the case in, you know, different types of performance. And this is the important part. And the caution of self-regard is submerged. The caution of self-regard is submerged. So essentially, you let your guard down. The things that you wouldn't normally do in front of other people, you suddenly have the power to accomplish. The things, the movements, the dances, the, uh, the positions that you would normally feel perhaps a little bit awkward or shy about taking up in front of other people are suddenly no longer a problem to you. Because the caution of your uh, self-regard has been submerged, uh, as she put it there, uh, very eloquently. It's been pushed down. It's no longer in the forefront of your personality. You have been freed up. You have become free. You've become an open vessel in the moment of performance, let's say. And I think that's really interesting and important. Because it does reflect our, on our understanding of the Welsh Bardic tradition. If you look at a lot of the poetry from the Book of Taliesin, you'll see that a lot of it is very boastful. You might even say arrogant. Yeah, Taliesin is really full of himself. He's the best. He's the wisest. He's going to wipe the floor with all these idiot other bards. All these fools who come to contest with him in bardic competition. He knows these great things. He understands the mysteries of the universe. He understands where the different elements come from. He understands the nature of God and Christ and all the great mysteries of the cosmos are at his fingertips. Yeah, It's a very um, uh, affirmi affirmative, confident, boastful performance. So we can see that even though the Welsh Bards perhaps weren't wearing a mask, there's a very, very simple but important lesson implied in the performance of Taliesin poetry. That being, free yourself and be confident. Don't be afraid. Uh, feel able and powerful to do this. Yeah. So you can see that as with uh, masked performers in the Nigerian uh, dramatic tradition, the Welsh Bards, by taking on another personality metaphorically wearing a mask, even though they didn't literally wear a mask, they would also have a similar degree of freedom. Yeah. Sometimes, further stimulated by sounds of rhythm, music or poetry, this feeling of mystical eminence is heightened and stretched beyond the level of the purely physical to affect the psyche, precipitating a state of trance. Now, this is something that I can quite believe the Welsh bards were aiming for. And perhaps this is one of the reasons why the channeling of the Taliesin persona was perhaps such a popular and powerful thing. Maybe that's why we've got a whole book of poetry. Uh, the book of Taliesin, or most of it, is poetry that would have been performed in the persona, in the voice of Taliesin. Because it would enable performing bards to reach a, 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 an ecstatic state, yeah? a trance-like state. Plenty of performers will attest to having similar experiences. You ask any musician who's played an awesome gig, there is a, a heightened trance-like state that's experienced. 
And that's without the booze and the drugs. As you can see, it's useful comparing these different ethnographic studies with the Welsh tradition because they can help us fill out our understanding. Not only fill out our understanding, but actually deepen our appreciation of the understanding that went behind these performances. Why, in a very utilitarian sense, why they were useful, why they were powerful, why they were practised. Yeah? There's a great utility uh, in these types of performances, not only for giving confidence and power, but for the bard to reach these ecstatic states, yeah? these trance-like states, to feel the awen, yeah? in the moment of performance, to be filled with the divine muse. Yeah? To take this a, a little bit further, there are some other considerations, perhaps a, a more conceptual or metaphysical understanding that we can bring to these practices. Ini A Ebong, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, wrote a very interesting article back in the 80s, uh, Mask and Masking, a survey of their universal application to theatre practice. In summary, several views have been held uh, to the fact that masks are profound universal statements on the metaphysical paradox of being and existence. This is a little tricky and a little complex, but fundamentally, mask wearing and the liberation and the, uh, the ecstatic trance-like state that comes from mask wearing in performance enables the, the mask wearer to have these mystical insights into the nature of being. It's essentially what's being referred to here. Several views have been held to the fact that masks are profound universal statements on the metaphysical paradox of being and existence. At its most fundamental, says Tonkin, that's Elizabeth Tonkin, a renowned anthropologist and ethnographer, the act of masking is an embodied paradox. The wearer has a face and a not face. He is transformed by that which dehumanises him. So even though the performer has a face, it's not their face, the thing that the mask represents in many ways is the supernatural power. So the thing that's usually hidden, supernature, becomes visible. Yeah? And the thing that's usually visible, that is the performer's face, becomes hidden. And that's a paradox. Yeah? The visible becomes hidden and the hidden becomes visible. Yeah? Hope you're with me there. That's one of the paradoxes that, uh, that's being referred to here. And that's really a liminal position to be in. That's uh, your, you are present, but you are not present. You are there, but you're not there. Yeah. You are acting, but something else that was formerly invisible is now acting as you as well, or you are acting as it. Yeah. So there's these different uh, polarities that are present in the performance, these different contradictions, the different paradoxes that the performer is now embodying. Yeah, so it's a, it's a liminal position to take up. I'll just run through that again. At its most fundamental, 
The act of masking is an embodied paradox. The wearer has a face and a not face. He is transformed by that which dehumanizes him. Yeah. Uh, John Bache, I'm not sure who John Bache is, but says something very uh, similar, contends that masks are the artistic creations of universal duality. That is, they are visceral statements about the duality of man and his ever-changing universe. So this is another um, uh, paradox, another duality uh, that's present in, in mass performance. They symbolise the dual personality of man and the changes in his psychic and physical composition. Now, it might not be very clear what's been described there, but essentially this idea that there is a personality, that there is something fixed, yeah? I am identified as Gwilin. I am Gwilin Morris Baird, and I've always been some version of me, yeah? And in that sense, my personality has the illusion of being unchanging. Oh, it was always me. It was me back then, and, you know, that was me doing that, and I remember me doing this, yeah? So the persona, the personality, creates the illusion of stability, of, of not changing. But the paradox, of course, is, is that that personality that we think of as a static phenomena experiences many, many changes all the time. And not only changes in the self, but changes in the universe around them. So there's this um, uh, conflict between the static nature of the personality and the persona and the ever-changing nature of actual reality. Yeah, And that in that uh, conflicting dynamic, in that paradox, there is again another liminality. I love this sentence here in the middle there. Um, they are powerful reverberations of the paradox of revelation in concealment and vice versa. Masks are devices for concealment and disguise, but in the process, they reveal the multifarious forms and attributes, polarities and essences of life, being and existence. So basically, all of these different paradoxes that I've just outlined are revealed by something which by its very nature is concealing. So there's another paradox there again, all these different paradoxes built into the practice of mask wearing. And this is interesting because there is a very powerful creative tension implied in masks. Yeah, They reveal, even though they conceal, they point to the ever-changing nature of the persona, even though we consider the persona to be static. And they reveal the thing that was once invisible and make invisible uh, the thing that was once revealed. That is your face, yeah? All these different paradoxes come into play in the act of mask wearing. And in all of those paradoxes, there is a very powerful creative tension, which clearly energizes performance, yeah? 
for whatever reason, performers can tap into these paradoxes, can be in this strange liminal space where they are themselves but not themselves, where they can somehow relinquish the static nature of the personality and perhaps move into the far more fluid, mystical, heightened uh, a state of performance uh, uh, as a masked human. Yeah, Really, really interesting stuff. Fascinating stuff. And um, it's one of the... Um, I think it's one of the most uh, powerful descriptions of performance in many ways because, of course, this doesn't just relate to mask wearing. Now, for those of you who are anthropologists, I know that there are very nice distinctions between masked performance and unmasked performance and mask channeling and unmasked channeling. I know that there's work done to distinguish those things, but you can also see in a basic sense there is a similarity that the notion of channeling, the notion of becoming a different personality evokes a similar state. It's a very fruitful and creative state to be in, to be yourself but not yourself. For those of you in the Taliesin course, remember that line? I, not I, aneirin. A very powerful condition to be in, yeah? Sort of suspended between these two personalities in the same body. So that, for me, is the answer as to why the bards were interested in this idea of not only performance, but possession and channeling, and why it was such a powerful activity to galvanize and reinforce their creative spirit, to, uh, to uh, inspire them, to let the awen flow. Yeah? That putting oneself in a liminal position is a liberating and invigorating experience where the self is given the opportunity to move beyond the restrictions and the confines of the self, essentially. I think that's the, the summary there.